right, let's go to uh, First Epistle of John, and uh, remember John wrote this at the end of his life, lived to be about 100 years old, um, probably the last recorded canon of scripture we have, remember the books of the Bible are not in chronological order, um, if they were, this letter here would probably be at the very end. Um, John wrote it when he was in Ephesus. He survived the exile of Patmos, survived being put in a, a boiling kettle of oil. They tried to do all they could to uh, stomp out the voice of John the Apostle, and he just managed to keep on going. Um, you might remember a story where uh, Peter was asking the Lord, what about this disciple? And Jesus said, if he was to live... Until I come back, what business is it of yours, Peter? And um, and it was just pretty pretty funny how he actually outlived all the other disciples. Um, and no man killed John. He was taken by the Lord. He he you know he died of natural causes. He was not a, no man took his life. Where all the other apostles did die a martyr's death. And John was the only one that did not. And so that was pretty... There's a, I think there's a neat little connection there between what he was telling Peter. Um, so um, praise the Lord. All right, we saw last week we talked about... Um, we, you know, we discussed a little bit about the three mentions of the word antichrist in the Bible. Um, if you can remember what those words were, we're talking about antichrist, the world leader called the man of sin, the son of perdition. Um, The book of Revelation talks about that person. That's the uh, where Satan will take on flesh and become a leader. Um, You know, the the devil incarnate. And um, that's the Antichrist with a capital A. Um, We also have the Antichrist spirit that has been working um, since God told Eve and Adam that through... Your seed, the Messiah, would come into the line, Genesis chapter 3, where he said, um, he said, your seed, I always can't remember the, uh, the exactly how he worded that, Genesis 3, it says this, um, I think I'd have it memorized by now, he said, uh, hold on, where's that, Jeremy, get with it. What's it say? Say it again, John. I hear you over there whispering it. 315. Thank you, brother. And he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. All right. Now, we know in regular biology, women do not have the seed. He was talking about the virgin birth here. He was prophesying that the Messiah would come through a woman. Um, And so he was talking about the coming of the Messiah there, and it says, He shall bruise thy head, and you shall bruise his heel, speaking prophesying of the crucifixion. So from that point on, the Antichrist spirit has been working throughout the Bible to try to take out the Messianic line. He was either trying to spoil it, kill it, pervert it, do whatever he could. The Antichrist spirit was working. We see the Antichrist spirit working through Naaman. Remember when Naaman was trying to wipe out the Israelites? Okay, we also see the Antichrist spirit that was working in World War II through the Holocaust. All right? We see the Antichrist spirit that's working even now that is trying to continue to make God look like a liar when he promised 
the land of Canaan to the Israelites. All right, God promised that land to them, and he is trying to work it to where they cannot, won't have that land. All right, so that's where all the turmoil is over there. I said Naaman, thank you, brother. Yes. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, brother Lee. Yeah, Haman, good correction there. Haman, Haman and Mordecai, not Naaman. Thank you, because I think I said Naaman last week, didn't I? I remember that now, yeah. So Haman and Mordecai. I got to watch some more of that cartoon, Hanna-Barbera. Get my names right. All right, so, and then the last Antichrist spirit was the Antichrist spirit, um, which John is talking about in verse 18 of chapter 2. And he says, um, he says, there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that is the last time. And the many Antichrists there that he's talking about is the false doctrine that Jesus is not the Son of God. The teachings that declare that Jesus is not God. All right? And he's going to go into that more um, in this chapter. And then we saw also in verse 19, he's talking about they went out from us. Who went out from us? Those that begin to teach that Jesus was not the Son of God. That Jesus did not, wasn't born of a virgin, that he did not take on flesh, but he was maybe some mystical spirit that came down out of heaven. All right? He says, They went out from us, verse 19, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that they were not of us, or they were not all of us, or they were not part of us. All right? So, what was the reason why they went out? Because they weren't part of us. They were never part of us, and the reason why God let them leave or that they did leave is so that they could be manifested that they weren't part of us. And so um, Paul, he had a guy like this that followed him around. His name was Demas, and there were records of Demas with the brothers and Paul, and he would send in his letters, he says, and Demas greets you. So Demas participated with Paul in the ministry. But later on, Paul's testimony of Demas says this. He says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. So Demas looked like he was a Christian, talked like he was a Christian, but at the end, it was revealed that he wasn't a Christian because he left. And it was manifested that he wasn't part of the fellowship. All right? Um... And so then in, in verse 20, so speaking about those, and we shared a little bit about, you know, people that leave the body of Christ. You know, some people leave, you know, the, the local church because of hurts or pains or offense or whatever it may be. Um, but this whole book is about the fellowship of the saints with the Father and with the Son, through the Holy Spirit, and with each other. And Paul in the first two chapters talks about how to fellowship with light. Chapters 3 and 4, how to fellowship in um, the the love of God. All right? 
You got the light of God, the life of God, and the love of God. Those are the three areas that he wants us to fellowship in. Praise God. All right, so, verse 20. Now, John, writing to the church, says, But you have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son, the same has not the Father. But he that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning, if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son." And in the Father. And this is the promise that He has promised us, even eternal life. Now, these things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Verse 27 now. But the anointing which you have received of Him abideth in you, and ye not, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Verse 28, and now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Praise God. I thought we would just read the scriptures there and then com comment it as we go. So the first verse there in verse 20, Paul, uh, John says, You have an unction from the Holy Ghost. You have a, an anointing. A, the word charisma there, it means smearing or to smear upon. Um, you know, it's to take, you know, when you put your children out in the sun, what do you usually lather them in? Sunscreen. Sunscreen. You smear it all over them, don't you? Well, according to this, we have been smeared by the Holy One. All right? That's what that word unction is. And the actual word there, um, I think it's, uh, this is a funny word to pronounce, unguent. Um, somebody may have heard of that word. An unguent is, is like an oil, all right? Like a thick salve. And, um, and that's what we've been, and that's what he's comparing this to. He says, it's from the Holy One, and you know all things. All right, so those of you that like to write in your Bible, put a little reference note there for John 14, 26, and let's turn there real fast. John 14, 26, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 26. Say amen when you're there. Praise God. All right, so John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is of the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. 
So who's going to reveal all things? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, as the King James would say. And he's called the Comforter, all right? Or the Parakletos, the one to come alongside of, all right? He's a helper. He's a comforter. Now, he's the one that reveals and teaches all things. So what John is saying here is even though these guys are going around teaching these false doctrines, and like we've said before, this stuff wasn't new. They, they started teaching that Jesus wasn't God about 80, 90 years after the church was born, after Pentecost. It didn't take long, maybe a couple generations, and, and people were already beginning to deny that Jesus was God. And why is that? Well, because the, the egomaniacs from Egypt and Alexandria was a, was a, a seatbed of, of knowledge and philosophy. Um, that's where origin came from. A lot of the Socrates, you know, the Greek philosophers and all that stuff. That's where they had a, a major university down there. And they begin to indoctrinate Christian believers into trying to, to embrace the philosophies of man. And I can tell you right now, this word that comes from God, his holy word, and man's philosophy and his wisdom, they do not mix. They have never gone together. They didn't go together in 100 A.D., and they're not going to go together in 2020 A.D., they just have never mixed. And men, century after century after century, continue to fall for the lie that you can take man's philosophy and you can mingle it with God's word. Amen. And they have never mixed. And so what John is encouraging us as a church is that, look, even though this stuff is being taught, you have an unction. You've been smeared by the Holy Ghost. Amen. And when these guys are trying to bring up this false teaching, you will have the Holy Spirit within you saying, uh-uh, don't listen to that guy. We used to hear, you, eh, eh, you know, just the buzzer goes off, you know, eh, wrong answer, eh, you know, you just, you just hear the buzzer going off. What they're saying is not correct, you know, and that's the unction. That's the, that's the Holy One within us telling us that's not right. Um, now, that's interesting what John is describing here when he uses this word unction. Because charisma is a smearing of a scented ointment. It's like the one used for the high priest. Go with me over to Psalms 133, chapter 2, or Psalms chapter 133, verse 2. And check this out. This is a familiar verse that a lot of people know. Psalms 133, verse 2. Or let's just read the whole psalm. It's only three verses. Psalm 133. Behold, Psalm 133. Say amen when you're there. Amen. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment or the chrisma upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, 
and went down to the skirts of his garments. And so the picture there is the oil, the anointing oil coming down. You know, Jesus is our high priest, isn't he? And the oil runs through down the head of Jesus and down onto his body. Amen. And we are smeared as it comes down. But how do we get access to that oil according to this? There's, there has to be a unity. There has to be a unity in doctrine. There has to be a unity in what we believe and hold these things is true. The early church, when it was birthed, they always stressed that they committed themselves to the apostles' doctrine of what they believed, right? The other thing that brings unity, we have to have unity. We have to have love with one another. John talked about that in the first two chapters. You know, we can't, we can't walk in hate, all right? All right. So, and he, and he, his, his, um, purity of doctrine, he uses light. He uses light, love, and life. Those are his three favorite words. Light, love, and life. Light speaks of truth that speaks of purity in the, in the word of God, purity in what we were taught. You know, love is, is, is to not walk in hate towards one another. And then we'll, we'll speak on life here in a little bit. So let's talk about this precious ointment for a minute. Go with me over to Exodus chapter 30. All right, we're talking about the anointing here for a minute. Somebody say, I'm anointed. Amen. All right, look at, look at Exodus chapter 30. And um, Exodus 30, verse 22 says here, Moreover, the Lord, he spoke unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh. Later on, he says, of sweet cinnamon and of sweet calamus and of cassia. And of olive oil. And you shall make, verse 25, you shall make it an oil of holy ointment. An ointment compound after the art of the apothecary. And it shall be an holy anointing oil. Alright? So God commanded them how to make this holy anointing oil. He gave them ingredients. He told him to give it to the man who specializes in breaking these spices up and he knows how to blend them to get what it needs to do. And then look down at verse 30. After they make the holy anointing oil, he says, You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister unto me. Why were they anointed? To minister unto who? Unto God. You see, we were anointed to minister unto Him. Peter later on says that we are high priests and kings. Our main ministry, our main anointing that God has given us is to minister unto Him. We have for so long gotten it wrong that we think we are called to minister to each other. 
That's part of it. We have that. We'll see that here in a minute. But the primary focus of the believer who's born again and smeared by the Holy Ghost is to minister unto the Lord. He wants fellowship with his people. Amen. Amen. And he says here that they may minister unto me. And, and look at verse 32. Now, this is the warning. Now, upon man's flesh, it shall not be poured. Neither shall you make any like it. He says, it is holy and it shall be holy unto you. Verse 33, it goes on to say, Whosoever puts any of it upon a stranger shall be cut off from his people. So there's a couple things about the holy anointing oil. One, it had a specific ingredients. And that ingredients was to be set apart and not used for anything else but for the purpose of anointing God's priests. He also, later on, it says they anointed the tabernacle with it, and every vessel, anything that was used for worship to the Most High God, was anointed with this oil. Now, so it had a specific ingredients, five if I'm not mistaken, and then he also says, upon man's flesh it shall not be poured upon. Flesh. Paul talks about the carnal mind or the flesh. That we're not to be ruled by our fleshy appetites. We're not to, we're to, not to have love for the world, John told us in the last chapter, because in the world is the lust of the flesh. We're not to use the anointing for the flesh. And there are many people who have taken the anointing that God has put on their lives and they have used it for man's flesh. Whether it be their own or whether it be to impress somebody else. All right? And the anointing, the oil, is to be used to minister unto God. And that's what it's to be used for. And you heard me rant a couple Sundays ago about how the church always tries to... take gifts from the church that were used to minister unto the Lord and they take those beautiful gifts and they try to smear it on flesh. And the other thing they do in verse 33 is he says, do not put it upon a stranger. The anointing is not to be used for the unbeliever. The the precious anointing that God has given us to minister unto him People take their gifts and talents. They write their songs. They don't write songs for God. They write songs for man. Nashville's full of people that are putting anointing on flesh and strangers. And it's not right. It doesn't work. And the anointing is precious. What is the anointing for? It's to minister unto God. It also says it is to keep us in the way of truth. So when false teachers come along, the, the unction says, uh-uh, that guy is not speaking truth. Watch out for him. All right, so that's just the little things that we need to know about the anointing. Um, you know, I, I admonish you, 
you know, if, if you know that you have gifts and talents that are, you know, when God gave them to you, that they were for the Lord, I, have, I advise you to keep them there for the Lord. Because it will go well with your soul if you keep those things for the Lord and for His usage. Amen? Amen. And, um, you know, and He's serious about it. So, in verse 21, back to the gospel, or back to the epistle of 1 John, um, he says, I've not written unto you because you know not the truth. In other words, he's writing these things because we do know what's going on. We do have the unction, right? And then he breaks it down. Remember, we talked about the third Antichrist. What is the Antichrist? The Antichrist is someone that denies that Jesus is the Christ or the anointed one or the Messiah. All right. And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, religious sects out there, uh, religious cults or religious groups that do not teach that Jesus is part of the Trinity. You know, like one great preacher said, it's not enough to believe that Jesus was a good teacher. You got to believe that Jesus was God come to teach. Amen? Amen. You know, a lot of people teach that he was a good man. You know, the Muslims believe he was a good man. You know, the Hindus believe he was a good man. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, they believe he was a good man. But I can tell you what, none of those people believe that he was born of a virgin, that he took on human skin, took on a body, and he died on a cross. And that he was buried, and that three days he rose again. They deny those facts. They deny them. And so... We dealt with many Muslims when we lived in Bradford, England. And they always wanted to... They actually believed that Jesus Christ was coming back. They believed in the return of Jesus Christ. They just did not believe that he came the first time in a body. And so the Gnostics, they tried to teach that Jesus, when he did come, he did not come in a body, like I told you a couple weeks ago. Gnostics believe that material is evil. That anything of this world, anything of the material world is evil. So they, that's what the, the philosophy is. And you can see this in Eastern religion with uh, Buddhists and, and Shintoism and Confucius and all those guys over there. They, that's why they go up in a cave somewhere up in the Himalayas and try to get away from everything because they believe that they could detach themselves from the material world, they can get closer to God. But like we know, the Bible says God created the earth in six days, and then he said, it is what? Good. God declared the material good. He said it's good. So who are these cats to be calling evil what God called good? I don't know where they come up with this stuff. But somewhere along the line, they bought into the fact that material is bad. So they try to disconnect Jesus from the material because they, their fundamental belief is that material is evil. So because material is evil, oh, well, then Jesus couldn't have come in a body because a body or material is evil. And that's how false doctrine starts. They try to take what they already believe and they try to put in the things of the Bible to match what they already believe. And that's where you get into heresy. 
So that's why John is hammering it here in this chapter. If they don't believe that Jesus is the Christ, they have an antichrist spirit. Whosoever denies that the Son, whosoever denieth that the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Remember what Jesus told the disciples when he said, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He declared oneness with the Father. So in other words, he is part of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All right? And so, verse 24, he says, So let that therefore abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. Which you have heard from the beginning. And when I read that, I think of what Paul said, and this is the, probably one of the... If you had any... If I had to walk around with one page in my pocket... It would be 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, And it says, um, I love this verse. In verse 1 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, it says, Brethren, I declared unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. In verse 3, I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. And then he goes on to say how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. How that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas or Peter and then the twelve. And that he was seen above all by about 500 other people. All right. So what did Paul first receive? He received this gospel message. All right? When John is talking in verse 24 of the epistle here, he says, Abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. What did we hear from the beginning when we first got saved? You know, when you first got saved, do you remember what, what you heard? What you responded to? Did somebody preach the, the gospel that, that I just read to you? And you believed it, right? And when you believed it, you were saved. We got to hold on to that. It doesn't change. It doesn't get any, it doesn't have to get more mystic or more deep or more higher. There's no higher revelation than that, okay? We got to hold fast to it. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you shall continue in the Son and in the Father. So the key to remaining in the Son and in the Father is holding to the doctrine that Jesus is the Christ. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. That seems elementary to us. But I'm telling you, this is so powerful. I was having a conversation with my daughter the other day, and she was witnessing to, uh, to an unbeliever. They were asking about the Bible and stuff. And, and this is such a key point. The person had no idea that Jesus rose from the dead. Had no idea. 
See, a lot of people, I know, right? We, we just kind of think that everybody knows that Jesus rose from the dead. But guess what, guys? They're not telling them out there that Jesus rose from the dead. You know what they're telling them? They're telling them that Jesus was like Buddha. That Jesus was like Hira Krishna. That Jesus was like Gandhi. That Jesus was like, um, uh, 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 what's his name? Muhammad. They're trying to say that Jesus was like all these other religious teachers. That Jesus was like Joseph Smith. They're trying to put Jesus on the same level as all these other cats. And they're not saying that Jesus rose from the dead. So we got a whole generation out there that just thinks that Jesus was this guy that really loved people and did some pretty amazing things, and then he died. And the Christians believe that he died for their sins. They might get that far. But let me tell you something. That's only half of it. Because if Jesus died for my sins and stayed in the grave, guess where I'd be? I'd be in the grave with my sins forgiven. What good is that going to do me? It's not going to do me a whole lot if I go to the grave with my sins forgiven. But we know that Jesus died for our sins. But why, if we said this the other week, death came because of sin. Jesus' resurrection from the dead was proof that his death canceled sin. Hence, the resurrection. That's why we have to preach the resurrection so that we can say, look, because anybody can say, like Jesus said, remember, remember when he said to the guy that was on the mat, what's it easier to do? Say this man is forgiven of his sins or get off of your mat and walk. He said, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sin, I say, get off of your bed and walk. And what did the guy do? Get off your bed and walk. And now it's the same principle. What's it? It's easy to say, oh, Jesus died for your sins. Well, how do you know that he, how do you know that sin was taken care of? The penalty of sin was taken care of. Because death was defeated at his resurrection. That's how we know. And so we're only preaching a half gospel if we leave the resurrection out. As a matter of fact, Paul was so excited and he said, we're justified by the resurrection. We're actually, we can take on the righteousness of God because of his resurrection. You know, we actually will not be brought into the fullness of our redemption until we are all raised from the dead. Amen. Amen. I mean, that's pretty good news, man. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I mean, you know, it's like. Ain't no grave going to hold me down. You know, we need to get excited about that some more. You know, it's a real thing, man. It's a really real thing. You know, you go out to a local cemetery here and you look around, there may be some believers, I mean, based on, you know, Jesus's parable. Some like to teach that, you know, based on the parable of the sower, 
you have four types of seeds. So people may say in a crowd of people, you may have 25% that have received the word and be born again. You know, out of four types of soils, only one actually received it. So maybe 25% on a good day are believers. We know that the majority, that this, this thing we're in, it is a minority, amen? It's never been a majority. You, so you look out in that grave, graveyard and you'll probably look around and you could maybe say maybe there's 25% of believers in the ground here right now, give or take. When the Lord raises the dead, how many people are coming out of those graves? 100%. Every single person's coming out of the grave. Jesus taught that 25% are coming out of the grave unto life. And the other 75 are coming out of the grave unto damnation. You see, this body, we're more than just this body. And every single person that dies is going to be raised from the dead. And they're either going to spend it in full glory and joy and hallelujah, or they're going to be spending it in gnashing of teeth. Now, this is old-fashioned, D.L. Moody, 1950s, fundamental gospel preaching, amen? Amen. And I say we need to get some more of this back in the church, amen? Amen. We need to get some more of this. Because, you know, I'm not hearing this much, very much now. I've not heard a resurrection message preached on TV in about five years. Now, maybe I'm not right watching the right channel and I'll take... But I have not seen a message about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in over at least five years. Outside of Easter. Easter. Yeah. Easter, maybe. Outside of Yeah. So, you know, these are the things in verse 24 that the epistle is teaching us that we need to hold fast to. All right? He says... Verse 25, and this is the promise that he has promised us, even eternal life. That's the promise that he's given us, eternal life. You know, he hasn't even really, we always say, oh, I want to go to heaven. You know, we think that the heaven is a place where we're going to go when we die. The Bible does say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But if you continue to read your Bible, we're not going to spend eternity somewhere else in heaven. Revelation tells us that heaven comes down to earth. We will spend eternity right here on planet earth. Now, not this earth. Once the Lord reigns physically on this earth for a thousand years finally defeats the devil and everybody that wants to follow him and casts him into Gehenna, the lake of fire that was prepared for him and the devil and his angels, the Lord will then refine the heavens and the earth by fire. And he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And the Bible says that the city of Jerusalem, like a bride, will come down from heaven and will touch earth. However many ever seen close encounters of the third kind. You remember how that massive spaceship was in the sky, but it was attached to earth? You know, there is a city that is going to be brought down from heaven that is going to be as, as wide as from here to the Rocky Mountains. That's how, that's how wide it's going to be. It's going to be that deep. It's going to be as high. And it's going to be 
It's going to be like a square foot. Imagine a square. I don't know. Was it like 15? If you look at the dimensions in Revelation, I figured it out. It's as far as from here to Colorado. That's how wide it is. 1,500 miles. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high, 1,500 miles deep. And 1,500 miles, whatever that is. Depth. You know, that kind of thing. A giant square 1,500 square miles is how huge this new city is going to be. And this city is going to connect heaven and earth. And there will never, ever again be a discontinuation of the will of heaven is against the will of the earth. Heaven and earth will be united. But right now, we're the spiritual city of God. And the church now spiritually reflects the unity of heaven and earth. Praise God. But pretty soon, that spiritual force will be removed from the earth in the rapture. And the Antichrist, capital A, will have his reign for seven years. That's it. That's all he's getting. That's all he's getting. Now... So where I got on that, yeah, eternal life. Eternal life is not just floating away somewhere in heaven and spending forever out there in outer space somewhere. The Lord made the earth to be inhabited, Isaiah declares. Amen. Praise God. I feel the Holy Ghost. All right. Verse uh, 26. So he says in verse 26, These things have I written unto you concerning them that what? Seduce you. Seduce. That's what false teachers do. They seduce. Do you guys remember that story of Simon the sorcerer in the book of Acts? I'll paraphrase the story real quick. Basically, a revival broke out in this town. The Holy Ghost was falling on people. They were speaking in tongues. People were getting healed. Peter would lay his hands on people and they would just begin to speak in tongues and the power of God would hit them. The fire of God would hit them. Well, before these guys came to town, this sorcerer named Simon, he had control of everybody. He was a sorcerer. If they had a problem, they would come to him. He would either say a little hocus pocus over them, maybe give them a little potion to drink or maybe shake some chicken feathers over them or whatever. But whatever he did, he somehow convinced them that he was important to them in their life. Now, when Peter came along and preached the gospel unto them, and they believed on Jesus Christ and were filled with the Holy Ghost, they no longer needed this sorcerer. And so he came to Peter, and what did he say? He didn't repent. He said, let me have this power. Let me have this power. He wanted to purchase it, didn't he? Yeah. He said, how much can I give you? Will you take 20? How about 50? Will you take 100? Can I give you 200 bucks for that power? And Peter said, let your money perish with you. He said, the gifts of God, they're not for sale. They're not for sale. Back to what we were talking about in Exodus. The anointing is not for sale. The anointing is not for sale. Never has been, never will be. Write your books, write your songs, do whatever you want for the flesh of man, for the profit of of your own earthly pockets. But the real anointing is not for sale. 
Me and brother Rick were talking about this the other day. I'm just so tired of people always trying to earn a living off of what God has given them for the church, for the, his people, and also to minister unto him. Everybody's trying to, to make a living off of something, you know? You know, I go to these different places and these worship leaders have got their little CD samples like, oh, check out my new album, man. Check out this. Check out you go. You know, you go into a church service, man, there's book tables everywhere. You know, product, 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 selling T-shirts, selling paraphernalia. Everybody's trying to make a buck. Why? Why have we got into this system where we're always trying to make a buck? I just, you know, I mean, I know what the Bible says. You know, we should take care of the people that minister the word of God. That's a Bible principle. But man, the man of God should not have to sell wooden crosses to make a living. At a book table somewhere. So, you know. I just think the, you know, it's, it's all over the place. Everybody's trying to pinch somebody. You know, you gotta have a license for this, a license for that. Can't, can't copy these lyrics unless you pay for that. Can't do this. You know what I said last week? And that's why I love the King James Bible. Cause if you go to the front of the King James Bible, guess what you will not find? You will not find a copyright. It is public domain. You, I can take this Bible and I can copy it a thousand times and not get sued one time. You try to do that with any other translation in this room tonight, you will be in, you will be, that'll be an infringement. Because there's a copyright. You can't copy it. Can't copy the New American Standard. Lockman Foundation own it. Can't copy the NLT. Tyndale own it. But Tyndale don't even really own it. You know who owns it? Harper Collins owns them. You got all these secular publishers that own our Bible translations now. Well, I guess I tell you what, no one owns the King James Bible. Amen. No one owns it. Over a hundred years old now, man. It's out of, you can't copyright anything over a hundred years. Public domain now. So anyway, I'll get off that soapbox. <laughs> but here you go. He says, these things I've written to you that can, they, they seduce you. Verse 27, but we don't have to worry about the people that seduce us because the anointing which you have received, in other words, same word, they just used a different word here, unction, anointing, same thing. I think the reason why they put unction there in verse 20 is because they wanted to really, the emphasis has been smeared, you know, it's smeared upon. But the anointing which you have received of him abides in you, and you need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you of all things, even is truth and is no lie, even as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. All right? So what is, what is, what is John saying here? Do, do we need, should we stop, should I stop teaching the Bible because of that verse? No. That's not what it's saying. No. The anointing does not supersede a minister's teaching. Supersede means replace. The anointing, it doesn't replace my Bible teaching. But what the anointing does is it surmounts my teaching. In other words, it is to be placed above. It is to be placed above. The anointing doesn't take the place of. But the anointing does stand above. 
So anything I've said in here tonight, while I'm saying it or when you go home in your car or when you're laying on your bed tonight, the anointing that abideth within you, if you believe, if you're born again, if you have the Holy Spirit, it will either say that stuff Jeremy was saying last night, tonight was a load of baloney. Or it will say there's some truth in that. Or you'll bear witness with it. Or what one guy said, you know, when the preacher's preaching, you chew the meat and you spit out the bones. Amen. I know when I've preached, sometimes there's been a few bones in my sermon. I'm not asking you to swallow them. Spit them out. Eat the meat, spit out the bones. Amen. Because, you know, any good preacher, he's going to have a few bones in his sermon. A few axes to grind. Amen. (laughs) A few bones to saw. Amen. You know, we just get a little irritated maybe sometimes. But you don't have to you don't have to take on my frustrations. But the meat, the meat of the word of God, we were to receive that. Amen. Amen. And um, so, you know, the anointing within you, it doesn't replace Bible teaching, but it definitely surmounts it. That should be your go to. And so you like I've said before, because look at this. This is a great verse here. Turn with me to Job 36, 22. We're almost done. The book of Job. The book of Job, verse 36. Yep. Chapter 36. Verse 22. Talking about the Lord here. Say amen if you're there. Look at chapter 36, verse 22 of Job. Behold... God exalts by His power. Who teaches like Him? Nobody does. Nobody can teach us like God can. There is nothing like that voice of God, His Holy Spirit, just guiding and leading and teaching you. Nothing can replace that. Nothing in the world. It, man, I tell you, it's the better than any drug I have ever taken. When God shows you something off the pages of His Word, when He hits you in your spirit about something, man, it is the greatest feeling in the whole world. The anointing, when the anointing is flowing, it's a drug, man. It is a drug. Better. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's the anointing is wonderful. I love the anointing. I love the anointing. But I'll tell you, my love for this anointing, man, I need to keep it off of, my, off of the flesh. And I need to keep it away from strangers. People that do not honor the things of God. Non-believers, God-haters, they're out there, man. There are people that are just hell-bent on hating God their whole life. Nothing I can do about it. But I can tell you what I'm not going to do with that person. I'm not putting my I'm not putting my anointing on that. I'm not going to try to, you know, write a song for them. Cast your pearls before Yeah. I ain't writing a song for those heathens, man. I ain't writing them songs for them Nashville crooks that all they want to do is get my money. Or make money from me. 
I mean, yeah, I, I, don't get me started on that again. I just can't believe how these, that evil empire crucifies these kids. Hate it. So nobody can teach us like God, amen? Nobody can teach like the anointing. In verse 28, now little children abide in him. That when he shall appear, we may have a confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. You know, that's why I want to abide in the Lord. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be like Adam. When the Lord, the Bible says when Jesus comes, he's going to come in the clouds. It's not going to be put in a corner somewhere. It's not going to be done in a cave somewhere. When Jesus Christ comes back to earth. It says he is going to come in the clouds. He's going to part the skies. The whole world. They're going to know. They're going to know, man. Now, I don't know. It's going to be amazing. And when he does come, I don't want to be running for a bush somewhere like Adam and Eve were. I don't want to be running for a bush. I want to be... Woo, I just want to be, yeah, I'm ready. Yes, I've been waiting forever for this. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm waiting. I've been waiting my whole life for this, Lord. What makes me say I've been waiting my whole life? Because I've been abiding and waiting for him. I can't wait for Jesus to come. I want him to come. I don't care how, oh, wait, you got these. Oh, wait, Jesus, don't come yet. I still got a few things. I got to get my portfolio sorted out here. Don't come, Lord. I got to get married first. Or don't come, I got to have my second child. Or don't come, I got to get that Mustang paid off. Or or don't come, Lord, I'm still building that extension. It's like we don't want the Lord to come because we got these earthly dreams and desires that we want fulfilled first. What kind of nonsense is that? Nonsense. (laughs) I don't want to be ashamed. I love this word confidence, that we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Amen. That we'll have a confidence that he, I, I, he's coming for me. Amen. He's coming for me. me too. I know he's coming for all you, but when I see him in the clouds, I'm only concerned about, yeah. he, here. I, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord, right here. Come and get me. Yeah. Here I am. I've been waiting. I'm not ashamed. Verse 29. So if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. Actually, we'll get into, we'll pick that verse, that because that verse actually is part of, you know, in the, originally the Bible didn't have chapters and verses. Sometimes they get it right and sometimes they miss it. They kind of miss it here. This chapter, verse 29 belongs with chapter 3. So we'll pick that up next week. I uh, hope you guys got something out of this. Praise God. 